Thank you, Molly. Molly is the daughter of Ray Wallace, one of our deacon candidates tonight. Our text this evening is from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so I invite you to follow along on the screens as I read aloud our text as we think about tonight, uh, the call of deacons. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. And if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant, at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward the consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. A deacon whose faith had been revitalized by a Sunday night evangelistic service went to the minister and told him that he was on fire for Jesus and ready to serve. The minister prayed with him, thanked him, and said, I will call upon you. Later that night, the minister received a call from a widowed mother in the congregation, and her son needed to go to a hospital, and she couldn't find a ride. The hospital was about 50 miles away. So, smiling at the seemingly providential promise of God, the minister called the deacon and said, I have a task for you. Well, at first the deacon was like, well, you know, I have to take off work, and And then he was reminded by the minister. He had said, I'm available for service. So he relented. The next morning he got up, he made work accommodations, and he went to the home uh, of the mother. The mother couldn't go because she needed to stay with the other children. So the deacon went in, picked up the boy who couldn't walk, carried him out to his pickup truck, 
and, and went on the road. When they'd been riding for a little while, the little boy looked at him and said, You're God, aren't you? He said, No, no, I'm not God. Why would you think that? He said, Well, last night I heard my mother crying and praying to God to provide a ride for me to the hospital, so I thought you must be God. He was quiet for a little while, and then he said, Well, if you're not God, you must work for him, don't you? The deacon paused, he had a tear in his eye and a little thrill in his heart, and he said, Now more than ever, now more than ever, now more than ever, Ray, Mark, Glenna, John, Heather, now more than ever. I want you to pay close attention to the more than ever, because it gives truth to what we've already seen in your life, the practice of working for God. Your faith family has observed that in you. And they are calling you out from among us to lovingly serve God and us. It's a humble and overwhelming responsibility, isn't it? I know you all well enough to know that when you got the call about being a deacon here, you probably hesitated at first or maybe were honestly shocked. A deacon? You know, that's the way it should be. Because being a deacon isn't something that we seek out or something that we're filled we are owed. Being a deacon is something that others see in us, and it's something that we surrender to. Your family of faith has witnessed in each of you your humble and loving service to God and others. And so, really, the challenge tonight to each of you is now more than ever to lovingly serve God and your faith family. The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is often called the love chapter. It's the one that's recited most at marriages, and when I've officiated weddings, I've uh, used it quite a bit. And it's a great uh, advice, uh, a passage of advice for those who are beginning a lifetime of love. But tonight I want to rescue it from all the tool and tuxedos and painful renditions of I Will Always Love You. Apostle Paul, when he wrote it, wasn't thinking of romantic love or marriage. He was thinking of a different kind of family, a family of faith. In our youth group, we use the word family all the time. Pretty much every time we gather or we post a picture, you're going to see or hear family. Hashtag refuge family. We say that to teach ourselves. We say it to remind ourselves something to aspire to and to give a name to what we try to create and what we try to be a family of faith. Three of our deacon-elects are active youth leaders in our youth ministry here at First Baptist Church. And a week ago, we were on a weekend retreat with about 40 youth. We were wearing short sleeves and shorts, too, by the way. A lot changes in a week. They gave up time at home with family, sleep, the comforts of home, sleep, football games, all those things to go and spend a weekend with a bunch of teenagers. Why would you do that? Because they love them. They believe in them. They cheer them on. They root for them. They're burdened for them. They're their biggest advocates. God has placed a burden in them and a love for our young people. The five deacons here tonight also feel that way about our church. They love her. They believe in her. They pray for her. They're burdened for her. They root for her. They cheer her on. 
The culture that surrounded the Corinthian believers was a culture that didn't know a lot about real love. I mean, maybe they knew it if they saw it, but they really didn't see it much. The kind of love that they saw was basically people using people for greed, for pleasure, for personal gain. When they saw and experienced uh, love, it was usually a boastful, conditional, self-seeking kind of love. The family of faith had to have a different kind of love. The family of faith had to love one another like the Father loved them. They had to be different. Otherwise, everything that they did as a, as a church, as a community of believers, meant nothing. It was bankrupt without that love. Paul urges the church in 1 Corinthians 13 to remember that if humble, selfless, godlike love is not the origin of every spiritual gift and every act of worship, then they mean nothing. They're bankrupt. If you teach a Bible teaching class, but you don't love. If you sing in the choir, but don't love. If you take the offering or you give 25%, but don't love. If you volunteer for a work day, or you never miss a prayer meeting, but don't love. If you dress modestly and never speak inappropriately, but don't love. If you have faith that can move mountains and knowledge that reveals all mysteries, but don't love. And if you're a deacon, but don't love, you merely have a title. This week, as I reflected on the, Paul's list of deacon do's and don'ts, I realized that they really come down to one word, relationship. When a deacon genuinely cares about their interpersonal relationships, they will fulfill the biblical mandate of being a deacon. If a deacon genuinely cares about their relationship with Christ, they will fulfill the biblical mandate of being a deacon. Relationships is the foundation of what deacon service is built upon. In fact, the best deacons I know are those that love well. They passionately love our God, and they passionately love the community of faith and the community of life. A deacon is committed to relationships. A deacon is also committed to being before doing. If you go back and read all the accounts of the New Testament deacons, so much emphasis is on who you are to be rather than what you do. Deacons are to be men and women of Christian maturity. They are to be right with God, with their family, with other believers. You're not being ordained tonight to do. You are being ordained tonight to love, to love God and to love others, and to let that be the wellspring of your ministry at First Baptist. Deacon is committed to relationships, committed to being before doing, and also committed to unity and fellowship. You know, the biggest champions of the church should be the deacons. The strongest advocates for the church should be our deacons. We expect you to love and cherish this faith family so much that you constantly strive for her health and well-being. In other words, you're charged with keeping our fellowship sweet. If you remember in the sixth chapter of Acts, the formation of the deacons really came out of disunity. There was squabbling going on, and so the first seven were appointed, and they brought peace to the fellowship, and the word of God in the church prospered. 
Just like those first seven, you guys are charged with bringing unity and fellowship to our family. It's a fragile thing, easily destroyed by bickering and quarreling and gossip. Deacons should always build up the church, never tear it down. Deacons are committed to relationships, to being instead of doing, before doing, and also to unity and fellowship. Now, for the rest of us here tonight, you're not off the hook. This isn't a graduation party for these five or some special public award for them. It's a challenge to all of us who are a follower of Christ or a member of a fellowship. These same things are things that we're called to be, committed to relationships, committed to being before doing, and committed to unity. But we have chosen these five brothers and sisters from among us as examples of these things. Five brothers and sisters who joined, 67 others to be ordained as servants of God in this family. And here's, here's the truth. We trust you to love us unconditionally. We need you to prayerfully intercede for us. We look to you for examples of love and service. We implore you to be on our behalf. We need you to help us work through conflict, not create it or inflame it. And we expect you to never let us forget our God-given mission as First Baptist Church. We ordain you tonight to wholeheartedly love God and your family of faith, now more than ever. Thank you for agreeing to do that.